Kava. It means holy worship. Join me, your host, Robert Randall, as we delve into biblical instrumentation and music history to discover the sounds behind the words of our Savior, Yeshua Messiah. Messiah. Good afternoon, family in Jesus Christ. I'm Robert Randall, your host. Welcome to Kadoshika, Holy Worship, Understand the Music of the Bible, the sounds behind the words of our Master, Yeshua the Messiah. Thank you for joining us for part two of unpacking the Hebrew Israelite music culture and context. Today we're looking at Orthodox Judaism, but by way of review, before we jump into our main portion of today's episode, I just want to give a bit more information as to a review and a bit more context as to how uh, Torah portions are done outside of the synagogue uh, once morning and noon prayers are done in the Samaritan community. Benjamin Sadaka, the lead scholar of the Samaritans, writes in his Samaritan Pentateuch, the Samaritan Pentateuch is divided into 52 portions that are read every Sabbath after morning prayer and repeated again at Sabbath noon prayer throughout the entire year, except festival Sabbaths, from the first Sabbath after the eighth day of Sukkot till the last regular Sabbath before Sukkot. In a regular year of 12 lunar months, the Israelite Samaritans at various times combine two complete portions into a single reading, in order to flesh the reading of the whole Torah on time. In order to finish the whole reading of the Torah on time. In a leap year of 13 lunar months, a single portion is typically read on most Sabbaths. The division of the portions of the Samaritan Pentateuch is similar in many cases to the Jewish division of portions as practiced in the religion of Galilee during the late Second Temple and Roman periods. In the Samaritan Pentateuch, each portion is further divided into passages of varying length. It is important to note that this division is particularly intended for the reading of the Torah by the Samaritans. In Jewish synagogues, the Masoretic text is read from the scroll itself by one or two representatives of the congregation, with the rest of the congregation merely listening to the reading. However, in the Samaritan Pentateuch reading, in order to provide opportunity for, to every Samaritan reading, the congregation leaves the synagogue after Sabbath morning prayer and divides into small groups of five or more readers, usually no more than 15. They walk to the house of the oldest member of the group, and there in the living room, they sit in a circle and read the portion passage by passage with each member, slowly reading one passage using an ancient form of cantillation. When the reader finishes uh, uh, chanting the passage, the rest of the members bless him or her for their fine reading. If the number of passages exceeds that of the participants, as is usually the case, then each round of the reading will be performed faster. Here, the reading is from bound codices of the Samaritan Pentateuch, whereas in the synagogue, the scrolls serve as ceremonial purposes waved before the congregations, before the congregants for blessings. The division, the, the division of the passages also serves the reading of the portion following the Sabbath noon prayer. 
The portion is read in the synagogue by right and left singing, a simultaneous singing in two voices of different texts, which is unique to the Israelite Samaritan music, which we did uh, present to you in more detail in the last episode, as well as a video of how they venerate the Torah by raising the Torah during their prayers and chanting the Torah portion. Very powerful, very moving. Now that we've gone through a bit of review, please, again, I say, keep in prayer the Samaritan community. They are a people, again, who have been forgotten. They are the estranged children of the sons of Joseph. Now we're going to delve into the cultural dispersion of Orthodox worship from the Second Temple period to the present day. And we're also going to be examining not just the different cultures and how they've mixed uh, amongst the nations, but we're also going to be listening to different types of those cultural examples of Jewish worship music. Hebrew belief in musical evolution has no concise origin. It stands alone. Perhaps the most creative and pollinated cultural bridge between uniting the nations. The virtual Jewish library says about Hebrew music, the Jewish people and their music have their roots in the Middle East, specifically in the land of Israel, and their branches everywhere. They have lived for over 2,000 years among many cultures, both Eastern and Western, from Iran to Israel, to the Western Mediterranean and North Africa, to Europe, and most recently the Americas. Thus, there is no unique property of Jewish music that defies geographical location. This property can be called intercultural synthesis. For millennia, Jews have been global wanderers. From the beginning of the common era, of the common era about 2,000 years ago, until quite recently, they had lived amidst many cultures, not their own. To preserve their identity in a sea of foreign cultures, Jewish people have always deemed it wiser to incorporate foreign cultural elements into the Jewish mainstream than to resist all outer influence absolutely. Thus, to a large degree, Jewish music is a cross-cultural phenomenon. The music of the wander, undoubtedly certain Jewish ritual musical forms, have had their sources in antiquity. But the idea of creative adaptation has been a hallmark of Jewish musical life for a very long time. Thus, Jewish music has many faces. End of quote. This is unique in that most of the Bible regarding Israel were the first five books of Moses, are concerned, the Torah, that the established nation of Israel was supposed to be separate from the surrounding nations. Music came into the picture as Israel went in and out of captivity among the nations that hated them. Indeed, the first reference in, of any song made by Israel is recorded by Moses in Exodus 15, after Yehovah redeems Israel from Egypt. In verse 20 of the same chapter, Miriam, Moses' sister, has her own solo with the first biblical instrumental accompaniment of a tambril. Moses even goes as far as to give instruction in the last book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verses 22 through 32 and, uh, and 45, 
that reaffirms Israel's unity, duty, and destiny. Looking at the cultural influences, we see that there are three distinct influences from Jewish cultures. The Jewish Virtual Library says this about the cultural influence and inter and intersections of Jewish music. We describe Jewish music as having three distinct streams. One is the Ashkenazi, or Western stream. This includes klezmer, and is music originating in Eastern Europe, and extending to the rest of Europe and the Americas. The second stream is Sephardi, which refers to Mediterranean cultural sources including Spain, Portugal, North Africa, Greece, and Turkey. Now, its actual roots are more Eastern in nature. I have recently come to find out uh, in terms of their origin from Iran and Iraq, um, which eventually led to the Sephardic name that they are given today within most Latin cultures. The third stream is Misrahi, literally Eastern, and refers to the music of Jewish people who resided amidst Arabic cultures. Of course, these three streams are not completely separate, but do in fact inter interact or intersect in many places. The, this makes perfect sense when looking at a timeline of Israel's history, especially once Israel is given the Holy Spirit and the temple is destroyed a second time, circa AD 6870. The dispersed elect tribes find much of their early cultural interaction to be in the three intersected areas of Greece, Turkey, and Egypt. Much of this due to cultural captivity by Greece in the intertestamental period and the birth of the early first century messianic assemblies in Asia Minor or Turkey. Ashkenazi, Jews termed as such from the ninth century whose music moved from Eastern Europe and flowed into America, branching out in lesser known subgroups like Hasidic Judaism. The Hebrew Euro Germanic Yiddish language has its origins here. It is this predominant Western form of Judaism most are familiar with on a global scale. This music included what is known as klezmer music. The word klezmer comes from two root words, clay, K-L-E-I, and zemer, meaning instruments of song. The understanding is that the musician is a vessel of a higher source. Sephardic. This would be considered Mediterranean Jewish music. The name translated as Spanish, which had a vibrant Jewish culture before Jews were exiled from Spain in 1492, taking with them their language, Ladino, Judeo-Spanish, much like Yiddish incorporated in ecumenical harmony of languages, including Hebrew, largely Mediterranean musical re uh, repertoire, rhythms, and melodic usage are attributed to them. Mizrahi. Mizrahi music, as it's known, migrated from the Eastern Mediterranean to the Asian Orient. Mizrahi means Eastern. Its cultural influence stretches into Arabia and as far as India. Of note, Arabic and Hebrew are the two most common languages spoken in these communities. 
Sephardim, Mediterranean Jews, or Sephardic, of, of Sephardic or Mizrahic communities are largely intercultural and complemented their, their defined titles with equal reverence. Due to a larger presence of Jews dispersing from the Mediterranean region, the music is distinctly more Eastern in a blend of Arab, Turkish, Persian, and Misrahim, or Egyptian, tones. The other major difference is that apart from adhering to non-Western tones, Misrahi has no connection to, to Ladino. Subgroups of Jews exist within these three and are in some cases contested as to the legitimacy of them being Jewish amongst the tribes of Israel. Hasidic, and perhaps the most controversial, given the melting pot of countries that represent Khazar Jews, seen by some as dominant in Hebrew and Arabic-speaking countries. The two main categories of Hebrew music are devotional and secular. They can be interchangeable. Devotional resides in the synagogue, which includes the modes and melodies of the cantor, um, or hazan, which uses modal chanting as well as medieval neumes. Recall earlier in our detail of vocal music, what we know comes primarily from the Masoretes. Today, in a large body of Jewish denominations, most of the music is vocal, while some do use an organ and other instruments for accompaniment. Other religious music heightens the spirit of worship, much the way Jews dance in a circle while singing. The most sacred of instruments used of the three high holy days is the shofar, as a call to repentance or teshuva. Secular music is traditions within the coming of age for a boy or girl, weddings, songs of romance, popular music, and folk music. All such music flows much like Western popular music outside of a religious context. All three Jewish sects are impacted by these musical structures and interchangeably. Today in Israel, there is a museum dedicated to the education and preservation of music. This is at HebrewMusicMuseum.com. A a square into itself, uh, a square unto itself for tourists to rent apartments that are dedicated with a musical theme, which you can see more at at a link that I will provide uh, within the podcast description. While the museum's website has a rough English description, it describes itself as follows: Welcome to Kikar Hamusica. The Music Israelite Museum in the heart of Jerusalem, in the in the Nachalat Shiva. It is the only museum of its kind in the country and the world in general. The museum displays antique instrument collections of original and restored various historical places related to, to special museum spaces, showcases, manuscripts, liturgical poems, and the possibility of interactive activities in each space designed to reflect Central Asia, Morocco, uh, and Andalusia, Iraq, and Egypt, Ashkenazi, European, Balkan, African, Jewish, and Yemeni. And, and Yemeni. 
there is presented a, a unique model of the temple, where the people of Israel left their mark in these areas as well as those areas that are characterized by various musical movements and people's musical cultures. Visitors will be connected with the Jewish roots of these areas. The museum's experimental atmosphere and unique architectural and unique architecture make visitors feel as if they are stepping back in time. Throughout the museum, musical instruments, musical craftsmanship, and their details are presented. The tour is guided by tablet, interactively guiding visitors with short films before each display. A highlight of the tour is the interactive temple game, the first of its kind in the world. The Wandering in the Temple Game explores Jerusalem and the temple in 3D virtual reality. The website goes on to present that the musical square is a means of fostering unity, faith, and inward desire for the good and life of humanity. This is especially evident where the Jewish people and the nation and culture of Israel are concerned. Examining the transcription of music, we have literally books in one category, while the wisdom books of the Psalms and Proverbs and Job function as a separate filing. There's a set of ten symbols that fall into one of two categories. The traditional approach within these two portions of scripture uses the symbol to show cantillation and tonality. The second approach is that of these is, is that these are fixed notes to be sung. Culturally, the use of these systems differ, but each contributes to the richness of diverse Hebrew synagogue traditions throughout the world. These ten symbols are the Rosetta Stone in conjunction with the Hebrew alphabet. Allow us to see how early music was interpreted. The Ten Cantillation Symbols of the Psalm Manuscripts. This work is understood by using the Atbash cipher of left to right or vice versa, using the letters of the Hebrew alphabet to coincide with pitches, be they loud, soft, sharp, or flat. In a modern sense, one can see how this would apply to music as we know it today. A formal understanding of this cryptogram is the use of the of the Sojito Caveto, invented by Renaissance composer Josquin de Prez, and coined by the theorist Zartino in 1558. This usage of cantillation uses solfege as means of helping singers work out the pronunciation of syllables. Many languages have alphanumeric sequencing. Students of the Bible who spend any time with Hermetical methods of using Greek and Hebrew know of gematria to find hidden messages within the text of Scripture. On the surface interpretation of biblical texts where numbers are mentioned, it has merit, but has been debunked with deeper levels of Judaic and Christian interpretation by scholars such as Dr. Michael Heiser in his book Bible Codes Debunked. Even so, many languages use such systems for music. Even blind musicians who read Braille code have an understanding of how this works because letters and numbers can be made to function as music notes as well. It's here indeed that we can see that there is merited application to music Bible coding. Talmudic references. When one takes into consideration that Hebrew was once considered a dead language, later resurrected by one man's determination, Eleazar ben Yehuda, 1858 to 1922, 
single-handedly took the Hebrew language from an archaic, ritualistic, and poetic means of philosophy and ritual synagogue worship to its use in the present Zionist state of Israel. We can appreciate this unique language to have a to, to have had a rebirth. However, uh, while well, I'll give an in a modern Babylonian script of its evolution since the 70-year captivity of the tribe of Judah in Babylon. Nonetheless, it is a miraculous achievement to convey God's word in its original tongue. And by way of the Talmudic references, the most that we have is essentially the way in which priests conducted worship within the temple, uh, the way in which they would use the the ketzorim, uh, the shofars or the silver trumpets, the ketzorim, to conduct uh basically calls of assembly for feast days and really what i have mentioned in the shofar episode in season two regarding the cock crow or the announcement that the temple is being opened for service has nothing to do with the rooster now we're going to take listen to some excerpts that i found within the mishnah and the gomorrah in the talmud regarding rabbinic decrees that prohibited the playing of music because of what they deem as scriptural understanding that is not to, to have accompaniment with music. Some believe uh, that the Torah portion must be sung to show joy for their pursuit of Torah and their passion for Torah, while other passages detail the libation ceremony for the drawing of the water in much jubilation, in much uh, fanfare, which has very pagan connotations just by the way in which, if you've done your research on this, it, it has some very interesting uh, historical background. Of course, Yeshua went to that feast to fulfill the shadow picture that he is the living waters that we seek because we are thirsty in a dry land. All right, let's take a listen to these passages, and that will be it for today. Shulchan Arucha Orachain three uh, three thirty nine verse three says we do not slap nor do we clap our hand to our thighs nor do we dance. This is a rabbinic decree, lest one come to fix a musical instrument. It is even forbidden to tap one's fingers on the ground or or the board, or to each other as singers do. Or to shake, to shake a nut for a child, or to play with the two nuts, so that the child will be quiet. All of this, or anything similar, is forbidden, based on a rabbinic decree, perverting, preventing, excuse me, the fixed of the of a musical instrument, clapping using the back of one's hand, clapping using the back of the hand is allowed. Rema, today people clap and dance, and we do not stop them, because it is better that they sin not. Mishnah Sukkah 5 verse 4 The pious and the men of action would dance before the people who attended the celebration with flaming torches, that they would juggle in their hands, and they would say before them passages of song and praise to God, 
The Levites would play on lyres, harps, cymbals, and trumpets, and countless other musical instruments. The musicians would stand on the fifteen stairs that descend from the Israelites' courtyard to the women's courtyard, corresponding to the fifteen songs of the ascents in Psalms. Mishnah Sukkah 5 verse 1 The flute is played on the festival of Sukkot for five to six days. This is the flute of the place of the drawing of the water, whose playing overrides neither Shabbat nor the festival. This is why if the, if the, if the first festival day occurred on Shabbat, they would play the flute for six days that year. However, if Shabbat coincided with one of the immediate days of the festival, they would play the flute for only five days. One who did not see the celebration of the place of the drawing of the water never saw a celebration in his days. Megillah 32a verse 12 says, and the rabbi and Rabbi Shephatiah said that Rabbi Yochaman said concerning anyone who reads from the Torah without a melody or studies the Mishnah without a song. The verse states, so too, I gave them statues that were not good and judgment whereby they should not live. Ezekiel 20, verse 25. As one who studies Torah through song demonstrates that he is, that he is fond of his learning. Furthermore, the tune helps him remember what he has learned. And that's very true. That is why oral recall is such a big part of Jewish learning. To be able to to have so much of this available by memory, I think that it it speaks volumes to people like Rabbi Shaul, who definitely had memory for the scriptures as most did because they were taught in them. That was school back in the day. We're going to read one more passage here. This is in regards to. The way in which music was played uh, in the temple, um, saying that it was actually prohibited to play instruments. This comes from Shulchan Arucha Orachain 560, verse 3. Similarly, they decreed not to play music with instruments and musical devices and all things that make music to rejoice with them. There are those who say the, pro the prohibition is specifically for those whom they regularly play them, like for kings who stand or rest to instruments, or in the house of the feast. It is forbidden to make them heard because of the destruction, and even sung by mouth over, over wine is forbidden. As it says, in song, one may not drink wine. Yeshiyahu 24, verse 9. And all of Israel is already accustomed to saying words of praise or songs of thanks and remembering 
the goodness. And that is our show today, brethren. Thank you so much for your support on Hebrew Nation Radio, Intervision.fm, as well as to those who've left your feedback on ratings on our podcasts. Until next time, I'm Robert Randall signing out. Shabbat Shalom.